as a traveler, as a black traveler, you, a lot, in a lot of ways, just feel free outside of the United States. Interestingly, like, I have no rights anywhere else, like, <laughs> by definition, but you feel, there, there's this freedom that you feel, even in countries that are not um, African countries, even, even in countries that are not predominantly black, um, there, there's the freedom that I personally feel. And so, Hey, welcome to Travel Tuesday Happy Hour, where we interview dope people doing dope things from around the world. Today, we have an amazing gentleman here, one of my Ghanaian brothers. Brother, tell us who you are and what do you do? Well, I'm Joey LaRoche. Uh, I am, uh, I like to think that I'm a Ghanaian, for sure. I mean, we did get citizenship while we were there. Yes, so that's that's what I'm going to leave with today, but in my... Uh, in my non-travel life, which has been a lot lately, given you know 2020 and the pandemic, um, I'm an educator and I work for a, um, a large charter management organization in New Orleans. We serve about 7,000 kids. Um, so a lot of my travel actually comes because I have a school schedule and I just use all of those breaks that we get to just travel. Of course, I don't get the long summer because I'm not a teacher anymore, but we get a lot of other breaks that you know I use to travel where I don't even have to use PTO for it because we get the breaks big then. So that keeps my fix going and, you know, give me my little hit in the veins from the passport. But, um, gotcha. but yeah, so, that's, that's what so I let's do. Take a couple, let's take a couple steps back and in your role in, in the school, in a charter school, like how, let's, let's first talk about the charter school, right? Like what kind of charter school is it? Yeah, so in New Orleans, every school, every public school, so charter schools are public schools, number one. But in New Orleans, every public school is a charter school. Like our system is completely unique and it's, um, managed by a bunch of either single site charter schools or charter management organizations, which has several. We are the largest, and so we have 13 different schools serving about 7,000 kids, but there are a lot of organizations and single sites, but all of us are public schools, publicly funded, you know, um, like, like any other public school, it's just that we have a contract, a charter with the district to operate the school and not the district themselves operating. They do other services for us, so unified enrollment, unified, um, disciplinary practices to make sure equity is happening across the different organizations, um, particularly in the discipline side and the culture side. But yeah, so I uh, started as a teacher in that organization, actually, um, 2008 feels like yesterday, but it was so long ago. I mean, I guess I'm old now, um, <laughs> but started doing that in 2008, taught, you know, and just started having the other jobs, assistant principal, instructional coach, assistant principal, Eventually, I became a principal of a high school down here in New Orleans, and I'm from New Orleans, so that, that was really special for me to come back home after college and and um, do that work. And um, actually, that problem is the work of educating and teaching, and how hard that this grind was in some of our, you know, most underserved neighborhoods where opportunity just doesn't seem to be found frequently. Um, and of course, you know, New Orleans. So I teach pretty much 100% Black kids, and have um, increasingly so we have some Latinx students um in the city but largely black kids and that's what um you know that's that's my ministry you know i went to in new orleans a public high school but it was selective admissions and people um tried to you know get me to, to go back there and to go into a school like that and i'm like that's cool i'm you know i'm grateful for the experiences i had but that's not my ministry like somebody else can go do that i want to go um you know where 
we can serve like a lot of kids and give a lot of opportunity and prove what's possible for kids that didn't get those same opportunities because everybody can can you know do these things. And so it's the work of educating and teaching that was so much of a grind that I was like, I need something, I need a break, I need to do something. And that's how that is literally how I started um really getting a travel bug. You know, I had traveled internationally before mm-hmm. and across the United States in you know spurts before. But after that first year of being a principal, I was like, this is the hardest thing I ever have done. And I can remember like walking off the graduation stage after the seniors had graduated that year, my first year, and going to the airport. I was like, deuces. And I like went to St. Martin. And since then, it was like, oh, a trip a year. Oh, two trips a year. And then just exploded. It was like, can I use, can I use all the breaks for it? <laughs> so, so let's take a couple steps well. back. I, I really want to kind of focus on the education side of things. Okay. Has New Orleans New Orleans, um, or is it more just the city or is it a state type of thing where all the schools, and has it always been that way, where all the schools are charter schools contracted out to the, to the school district? Yeah, so we have, um, it's New Orleans that is unique as a city, as a district that is um, 100% of the public schools are charter schools. So if you're a child in a public school in New Orleans, you go to a charter school. Um, but the state does, that is made possible because the state has like laws that make it such that that could be um, a thing. And and New Orleans is still unique in the state. Like there are pockets of charter schools around Louisiana, just like there are in, you know, lots of states, but New Orleans is concentrated um, for us. And it wasn't, you know, when I started teaching, that wasn't the case. It was still majority traditional district run schools, but I also started teaching like three years after Hurricane Katrina, which three years really means like a whole year was kind of lost anyway, because people were scattered. I had gotten sixth graders who were, you know, reading on a first grade um, level Mm -hmm. routinely. My average reading level was about a second grade, um, like late second grade level. And I was a sixth grade reading teacher. Um, And so you realize though, kids had just sat out of school for a long time. They were dealing still with the trauma of um, Hurricane Katrina. And I taught, and I taught in Central City, New Orleans. And um, a lot of people hear about the night war in New Orleans. And that is where I was a principal. And it's certainly like a community that was ravaged by Hurricane Katrina, but also like ravaged by the, the the infestation of the crack epidemic and all of those things that um, happened to us, you know, as, as Black people across the country. But in New Orleans, we were no different. Central City was probably even more um, affected and still is riddled with most of um, the violence and such in the city um, than what you might hear about nationally. Night War gets a lot of attention, but Central City is where I started teaching. It was, um, you know, the the, the, the most significant poverty levels um, and lack of opportunity, you know, happened in Central City. So, um, so that's where I was teaching, man. Awesome. So so you mentioned um, graduation <laughs> for your seniors and then getting on a plane. Was that your first travel travel or was that like your first, all right, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. Yeah, that was, I think, my first solo travel internationally. Okay. Yeah, um, and I just went to you know an island, St. Martin, loved it, rented a car, drove around this island that was half Dutch, half French, and you never know which side you're on, but it's small, it's fine, taking risks and such. Um, so that was the first of that. It wasn't the first time that I traveled internationally. I got the opportunity the first time to travel internationally in college through a um, kind of study abroad, but I went to um, Vanderbilt University in Nashville, and we had these Maymesters where you could go just for the month of May to take one course, oh, wow. a three-credit hour course, 
And mine was um, in London. So it was a theater in London program. So, which was awesome because, nice. you know, it's a regular three credit hour tuition, but you go, you stay in this nice hotel for like three and a half weeks, four weeks. And every Monday through Thursday, we saw a different show and wrote a paper about that show each night, like two page, three page paper, like nothing significant. Friday was like kind of yours to explore. So people would take like weekend trips up to Scotland or wherever, you know? And I always think like if I were, it's so interesting. I was like the only black person. I was the only black person on this um, adventure, but I knew a lot of them from being like in the theater scene and, and such. Um, but what I realized was like, there were so many things that I didn't do with them as a group, not because I wasn't connected to them, but because I didn't understand when I was coming over there and going overseas, like, oh, you could go take, take weekend trips on a train somewhere close. I'm like, whoa, don't you have to plan ridiculously for that like how do you do that and they would just leave me in a hotel and I had no idea so looking back on it now I realized like that, that's what privilege is like they mm -hmm. they grew up they they came to London in 2006 like right. understanding that we were all 19 20 years old and right. I was like what so this was the probably more eye-opening for me than anybody else and I think back about all the things I would have done that time and so the regret of that a little bit has fueled more of my like let's go Let's go do whatever. It doesn't matter how long I got there. I can go hit another country this way and like just like learning as you go. So, oh yeah, because yeah. I mean, you know, and and I was gonna actually ask you on that too. Is like, what was that experience like being a kid from New Orleans, not really having? Because I mean, this probably was maybe not your first time outside, but like, you know, Kentucky going to school was probably your first time leaving your your neighborhood, your your city. And yeah. um, having gone to another country, you know, your mom's like, don't talk to strangers. Don't don't be letting these white people fool you into doing these things that you're not supposed to be doing. You know, um, coming from a Christian yeah. background, just make sure you pray and make sure that, you know, everything is OK. But what we're not told is go and explore. You know what I mean? And not even just that is we're also looking at the financial implications. Right. Like, yo. I'm here on, on, I'm still paying these loans that's sending me out here. So, you know, I may not have enough money to just go travel, but you don't know it's, hey, it's about 80 euros to fly back and forth from London to Paris. You know what I mean? Um, it's yeah. about, you know, if, if you're in London, it's about 50 euros to catch a train over to Scotland. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. you know, it's, these are the things, and this is the reason why I'm doing this show, right? to show yeah. people like you and I and people back where you're from is like, yo, I realized that my ability to see the world was stifled by the lack of knowledge and the lack of seeing people like me do it. Mm -hmm. And now that people like you, I mean, you was about to spend the whole summer in, 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 the, in the Central Americas, right? Yeah, man. You know what oh, I mean? <laughs> you brought that up, it just hurt me again. I know, I know, It's the pandemic. <laughs> I know we're going to get, we're going to oh. actually, there's a segment. We're going to get to that. All right. But, all right. But yeah. So like, so, so tell me how did that kind of spark your drive for, for travel beyond like realizing like, yo, I kind of, I don't want to say squandered, but you, you kind of like regretted not being able to take advantage. Like your, your, your white counterparts were able to. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, their privilege of understanding their opportunities that mm -hmm. I didn't understand. And so got overseas, which is the hardest part and didn't take advantage of the easiest part because I had no idea about it. But what's interesting is, you know, that has, I, I, I was a kid who grew up and in, in school, like did well in school, but never liked history, for instance. I think now I realize there was so much about my schooling 
and I went to public schools in New Orleans, you know, and I, uh, I just realized there was so much about my school and they didn't teach me the history that was most relevant <laughs> to me, like many of us who look like us. Um, but it was through travel that I became more curious about like, well, because I'm seeing now people and cultures and things like that, that I was like, oh, this is, maybe this was, if I'd have had this experience, I might be more interested or just have my, have something to hang my hat on in terms of when I'm learning the history of the world and, you know, things like that. But it was like the most boring thing to me. And so interestingly, being in London, you know, I was finally able to see up close the things that I did learn in history classes because it's their history that, that we learn primarily. Mm -hmm. And so to go to the British Museum, that was like the most fascinating thing to me. Cause I'm like, oh, this is like these people, like these people who I'm walking around with, this is their life. You know, we were in a hotel truly one block away from um, Buckingham Palace. You know, I mm. think I was, it was called the something something Hotel Buckingham Palace. Like we were a block away and could ex and see that, oh, these people are just living their lives there. And what felt only like TV and only like history books to me. And so I wasn't, I wouldn't say like at that time I was woke, but yet, you know, but it was, we didn't even use that term, you know, in 2006, <laughs> but, but it was, in retrospect, it was um, it was an awakening because um, you know I felt the most different. I did look the most different. I was the only black person. Um, I felt the most different, but interestingly, felt pretty free because London, at least you know, it's still, but also then was a really international city, and you see people of all colors, walks of life. It's a lot of New York, you know. You can see that in New York a little bit right. as well, but um, I didn't have that in New Orleans. Like I came from a chocolate city. You know, Katrina happened and my mayor got on and was like, we keep in New Orleans a chocolate city. <laughs> then I go to Vanderbilt and it was like, oh, you're clearly the minority. It was the first time I felt like, you know, overt racism in any way, but it's, it's because you um, are just surrounded. You know, you are the minority. You're surrounded by, by white people. And I had found this community of white people um, in the theater world that I, that I went abroad with. Um, and it certainly was invited everywhere by them, but didn't, didn't understand how to take advantage of it. And so just even in talking to you about this, like so much of my whole life is wrapped in really the same story and what I try to impart as an educator and what I do as a traveler and how I see myself in, in the world, um, especially nowadays when everybody's kind of talking about identity and identity politics right. in, our, in our age group at least, like um, it feels like all of it is actually just the same story and it would be easy to have regrets, you know, as I was expressing before about like what I didn't get before, but what I can do is make sure that there's opportunities for all the ones after me to not have to get to my age before they feel it or experience it and see it. Um, exactly. And even in that page, like I, I still got to do trips with my family. You know, I left the city before I left the state. Mm -hmm. We would do family trips to Florida, to Texas, whatever was close to us. I had been, um, you know, to other further places, California, whatever, um, so I had some perspective of travel, right, that right. many of my students did not have at all. Like, Katrina was why they stepped outside of the city in some cases, but um, right. it wasn't until we took them in a lot of ways to, you know, a Florida trip or whatever on a bus for 12 hours that they started to get some of that experience. And so really, it's a lot of that lived experience, but now for the whole world, and you realize when you start doing it internationally, like, it's not that different to go there than it is to across your country, especially the United States, which is a huge country. It takes a long time to right. get to California. I get to a lot of countries faster than California, you know, and have now. <laughs> well, well, you think about it like, um, you know, the pandemic really made me 
explore the United States more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, my my most recent posts are all local, local posts, like South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, it's made me appreciate more because I mean, as a child, you know, growing up in New York, we only went upstate, maybe to Atlantic City, uh, maybe to Philadelphia, you know what I mean? And that was kind of the extent. And um, you know, one thing that I also want to mention is that you know, traveling, it doesn't have to be getting on a plane and going overseas. You know, as you mentioned, you guys traveled. Um, you guys traveled to different places, to different locations, and you were one of the fortunate ones that were able to see beyond your backyard. You know what I mean? And um, that's definitely the dopest part of it. Um, so I guess my next question is, um, are you able to bring back these experiences of your travels to kind of like, influence the way um, you manage the educational. Um, so what I was asking earlier was, um, are, are you leveraging these experiences from your travel to kind of influence the way you manage education in this charter school today? Mm. Yeah, I think like, and it's not, I wouldn't say this is solely from travel. It's also just from the the conversation around the world in our country um it's also just from being an educator but in the same way that as a traveler as a black traveler you a lot in a lot of ways just feel free outside of the united states interestingly like i have no rights anywhere else like <laughs> by definition but you feel there, there's this freedom that you feel, even in countries that are not um, African countries, even even in countries that are not predominantly black. Um, there, there's the freedom that I personally feel, and so that sparks the questioning of like, why is that? What, what about this place is doing that? And I think we all know the stories of how entrenched. I mean, this country is just built on racism and racist practices, and. Um, it's in everything that we have in our education system, in our classrooms, in, in every sector. Um, and so I think that piece of the travel and like understanding that through travel and understanding what the opposite of that feels like just in your spirit right. drives a bit of the, the motivation to help others get free, right? And the fastest way I know to help people feel free is travel. I think the way that I believe that we truly get free is education and one of the uh, education for everybody. Right. And so not just black kids understanding their identity and getting more woke, but a lot of like you've all you've heard of like the trainings and the diversity and equity, you know, trainings and working classes and stuff that needs to be happening in these these private schools that are predominantly white. This needs to be happening in places where it's being passed down on a dinner table. Like it needs to be happening everywhere, but that's where I see like the greatest right. opportunity. That's still just education, right? And so um, education yeah, right. in a meaningful way. And I don't mean like just sitting behind, you know, a, a, a whiteboard somewhere or 2020 a Zoom screen, but um, I think, you know, Epictetus' quote is my favorite one. It says only the educated are free. And I really believe that it's my signature mm -hmm. underneath. So many, uh, uh, under, you know, it's accordingly my signature for so many years and it's driven a lot of my work and passion. And I think traveling has helped me like shape and shape that same quote and add some color to that same quote. Um, because now it's like, mm -hmm. I 
felt freedom in a way that I thought I thought I was like free-ish before. You know, I'm, I'm an American. I got rights. I'm free. Uh, I'm not an enslaved black person in you know the late 20th century, um, early 21st century. But um, so surely I'm free, right? And you realize actually no. And then when you go somewhere else, you're like, oh yes, like it can feel like this because they get to feel it on a regular basis. And as you know, being in Ghana. Um, when people were telling us, welcome home, they said yeah. it in a, in a way that like, you know, my, my sister now lives with me um, this year. And if she were to come back from a trip and I say, welcome home, I don't know that I would say it with the same reverence and spirit that we heard from them routinely. We were walking down, mm-hmm. I mean, we were walking past like a fish market. It stinks like crazy, <laughs> but the air is so clear and beautiful. And people will say, like, they just knew we were Americans. They knew we weren't, you know, uh, from there. They would say, welcome home, brother. And it was said, like, we felt it every time, like, at the core of us. Like, oh, man, like, it's, it's like they've been waiting on us, you know, for generations to, to, to come mm-hmm. home. Um, and, of course, it was the magic of the year return and, you know, that time that we went. But I also mm-hmm. felt it in Senegal. I also felt it in Tanzania. Um, in some ways, yeah, it's you, you know, decided I think- to go country hopping while you was already out there. So you was just flexing on us at that yeah, point. You know, I did a few things. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, so, you just, it's different in African countries, but you feel this freedom outside of America, period, I think. So is that what drives you to travel? Because like, um, it, it sounds like similar to one of my other guests is the first time they traveled, um, they felt like they were home. And so from that point forward, it was really about exploring other countries to see if they can continue to feel that home-like feel. So what continues to drive you and push you to travel? You know, it's interesting because I I, I have a hard time defining. Like sometimes when I'm like, my mood is off and I'm not feeling well, or like I'm just not feeling the world or life or whatever, I often say, like, I just need some, like, veggie juice. I need to go work out. I need to, like, reset myself. My friends have started to notice, like, you need a trip. Like, you need to you need to get out of here. And <laughs> you don't need a snicker. You need a trip. <laughs> yeah. Like, even when I don't feel it in myself, I thought I was fine, right? And then I went to, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good. And then I went to, I don't know if it was Dominican Republic or something. I did, like, a weekend trip somewhere close enough to do a weekend. Columbia, I think it was, like, last November. And... It was like maybe a four day, four day long weekend trip. And I remember going, dang, I just, I did need this. And I didn't even realize it when you're like deep in the whatever, the country, the, the, the work, you're, you're just life and all the like mush of the world. Um, but when I went there, I got off the plane and started being around. I was like, oh yeah, I can feel the weight coming off. I can feel the freedom. It feels like vacation. And I didn't even think I needed vacation, but um, it's hard to to place like what the thing is, but for me, I need it frequently to be my best self. Yeah, that's 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 deep because I mean, um, it just sounds like it's a, a form of therapy, right, or a form of release to be able to recharge. Um, because you sound, it sounds like your job is very intense, right? Because you know, you're responsible for, you said, over 6,000 students and making sure that you have the top tier program in the city. Um, yeah. And so 
because of that, you know, you're, and I see you, you're moving around, moving and shaking, kissing babies and doing all yeah. that fun stuff, like a politician, right? And um, uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we we sometimes don't realize in the midst of it all that we need some of these things. Does that make sense? Yes. Sorry. You know what I mean? You know, no problem. Yes. Sometimes in the midst of it all, like you said, like, you know, um, yeah. you know, no, the, the hardest thing for a lot of us in our culture to accept is that we need therapy, right? Mm -hmm. But therapy can be seen in so many different facets in so many different yeah. ways. And, um, you know, it just sounded like that was kind of your release, your, your yeah. speaking from an objective body and being able to kind of recharge your, your, yourselves. Yes, um, I definitely so get renewed, renewed in it. And just, you know, as a disclaimer, I wholly, wholly recommend to everybody who looks like us, to everybody, period, like go get real therapy, but also go travel because it's helpful and you can do both of those things and you're better because of both of them. So go get some real therapy. Right. Too. right. So you mentioned freedom earlier, right? Mm -hmm. um, freedom as a black man in the United States. We're no longer in the 1920s, the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, two thousand mass incarceration, right? Hey. <laughs> right. I live in the um, you know mass incarceration city in the world, capital, right? Right. right. So. And so and so travel. Um, how does that make you feel as a black man? Right. How does how does it feel to go somewhere else and possibly be treated same, different, and different, better? Yeah. You know, it's impossible to travel anywhere and not bring my baggage of being a black man in America. Yeah. Yep. And anticipating everybody else's response to me, which in some ways is like helpful when you are in foreign countries where you don't know where you're at. And so you're, you're conditioning to be cautious anyway is useful, but it's liberating in some ways because you get to actively feel the feeling of like that shedding as you just go, as you keep getting proven wrong about other people, you mm -hmm. know, and how they're going to respond to you because that's not, that's not their way. Like they don't, they don't orient to you or to the world in that way. And in some cases they do, like there's racism all over the world. Like colonialism happened everywhere, you know, on this planet. And, um, but you see the effects, like, I don't think I felt it anywhere more severe than in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I've been to enough other places in enough, you know, on enough continents to get like, oh, there's like so much about people that are the same. There's so much about racism that is the same, but there's also, here are the shades of differences and it is most severe. And we are, we are more in love with this systemic racism in the United States than, than we are, than, than other people seem to be anywhere else. And, it, and it's mind blowing. And truly, truly, when I, came back from, I think it was Ghana. When I came in from Ghana, I was like, I'm ready to go back. Like, I I wish there was a way I didn't have to go back to the United States. Um, and I could have stayed because having been to Africa before Ghana, Ghana was probably still the first 100%, like, no, not 100%, but like real black country that I went to. Um, I had, I, actually, I had just gone to Tanzania for Thanksgiving right before it, but in Ghana, we realized at some point, it was like day seven, we realized we have not laid eyes on a white person 
they've not even walked past us. It wasn't they, it wasn't until we saw these. They were at Elmina Castle. They were at Elmina Castle was. taking pictures of these black kids. Pictures of us. <laughs> That's right. Yep. They're like, are you on your birthright trip? Like things like that. They would ask us. But that was when we realized that was like day seven of nine mm-hmm. or something. We realized, right. wait a minute, these are the first white people we've seen, seen in like seven days or eight days. And we didn't even know as Americans, as black Americans, what that felt like. And our own conditioning, it was like, wait, that's uncomfortable. But also <laughs> that feels great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's crazy. And I love, look, I got a lot of white friends. I love them to death. Love drinking with them too. I'm about to go do that in a few with, with mm-hmm. a few of them. And I work with with so many um, who are truly near and dear to my heart. But it was my first time in my life I went any stretch of time without laying eyes on a white person. And there was just something liberating about that. Nice, nice. So um, you know, you talk about that and it's it's liberation, like. Why haven't you been an expat yet? Because yeah. you're the you're the perfect example of Road a virus. person that would have probably like, look, it was great. Peace. Is it the love of yep. what you're doing in education, or is it just you just?